Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Final hour is here, and that means the Tennessee Power Hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on. We discuss the top headlines across the great state of Tennessee. Titans, Vols, Heavy, with a splash of some other news and notes around Music City and beyond. Big game coming up Monday Night Football. Nissan Stadium, Titans hosting the Bills. Buffalo, the hottest team in the league currently. Offense and defense getting it done. They get after it. And the Titans are going to have to get after it on the scoreboard. Keep the pace with Buffalo's offense. Paul, it would be nice to have a full arsenal available for Ryan Tannehill. It sure would. We won't get an injury report, actually. We, were, we weren't thinking along these lines, but for a Monday night game, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday is the standard practice week. The media availability is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, but uh, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones were out there together. I stayed and watched some of that. Uh, Jacob may have video of that shortly that we could play Great. while we talk. Um, I've tweeted it. Um, Hooker is back on the field today. I didn't have an eye on him because I was busy watching Julio, but he's eligible to return, so he could be on the field Monday night, which would be fantastic because Dane Cruikshank has not been getting it done. Uh, back there, and that may be the biggest missing outside of Dupree. Uh, he's probably the biggest thing that's held them back on on defense. So, if you could get, uh, you know, full strength Dupree, I'm not expecting Hooker potentially Julio Jones. If you put those two guys back in the lineup, that would be big. Offensive line wise, are they? I mean, I'm I'm assuming because of the the extra day, they're going to take full advantage of not forcing some practices with some guys that they hope to just simply make it to Monday. It was a light day today. You know, Vrabel, As you would expect Vrabel for everyone. assured yeah. us he said it was kind of a heavy individual day. Now, we watched the first 20 minutes of that. So, you know, I was with the receivers, but individual being, uh, you know, each position working with the position coach. And they probably did more of that, a lot more of that than they typically would. Um, so, a lot of recovery going on. Um Roger Saffold, I don't think, was out there with, uh, with the offensive line, though I think he may have been heading out there um, a bit later, maybe as we were leaving. Offensive line, uh, Vrabel didn't care for the question, but I said, you know, with Ty Sambrilo retiring, is Dylan Radins a guy that you judge not ready, now ready? Uh, because obviously he goes up a peg. But I still suspect that, that uh, based on the way um, Keith Carter talked about him yesterday that he's going to find his way into the lineup relatively soon, whether it be, uh, I mean, the most obvious place would be for Roger Saffold. That's the guard opening, and he's more of a guard than a tackle right now. If he's not finding his way in, um, they, they will soon because with, with Sambrilo now no longer a part of that lineup, and he could play multiple positions, Raidens is legitimately the next man Six. up for a, for a team that, that prides itself on next man up. He's next. 
Even even if they don't want him to be, he has to be well, at this point. Once Brewers healthy again, I would hope it's not the guy they signed yesterday. Yes, once Brewers Great. healthy again, it could knock him back to to seventh. He should be ahead of Lamb at tackle, but they keep talking about him at guard. Yeah. Uh, so right now he's next man up at guard. Uh, right, uh, Kendall Lamb might be next man up at at tackle. There's don't also know. nothing wrong with your question to Mike Vrabel. No, I don't think so. And he moved on. It, it, he didn't harp on it. I, I think you've got the right theory if you yeah, want to the share defen- what you the said The defense mechanism for Mike Vrabel when he gets a question that he's got no good answer to or no smart aleck response to is he uh, lectures the person asking the question. Particularly with me. Regardless if he should or not. If you asked it the way you said you asked it, you didn't insert any of your own opinions in it. You said what he had said about it. You inserted his opinion in it and then asked a question – but it was all one question. With Sam Brylow's retirement, now is Dylan Raiden's a guy who wasn't ready before more ready to go? That's a fine question. I didn't say it quite like that, but that's the gist of it. Great to see Julio Jones back on the practice field uh, for the Titans today. In, the, in the, the three games without Julio and A.J. Brown, the Titans have two completions of 20 or more air yards. They have been playing in a very confined box on offense. And... The, the hope would be that A.J. Brown is able to take a quick crosser and extend a drive with a big-time play. And Julio Jones has done that this season. We have seen some of the biggest plays of the season being to number two on offense. The, the big play, the 51-yard reception, comes to mind in Seattle that sparked some offense for the Titans. They need more of that in order to take full advantage of what Derrick Henry's doing on first and second down. And watching this now, um, for those of you listening on the radio, I think, you know, I, I filmed A.J. and, and um, Julio back-to-back. They were going first and second in line. And Brown uh, certainly looks better than Jones uh, in terms of fast feet and, and movement. But I, I think it's encouraging that Julio's out there. You know, another thing that I noticed here, and I don't want to say this is a habitual thing because I'm not watching these receivers work habitually. I'm not, I don't stay for the first 20 minutes of practice a lot. Josh Reynolds goes dead last today in every one of these drills. That's a beta move. Yeah, we, we discuss guys who is jump it, to the front of the line. Is it uh, fair I mean, to he say, can't go to the front of the line here, no, but he no. can go third. Is he it, can go fourth. He can go fifth. Is it, is it fair to say that he's absent from the, the well, front of the line? Yeah, he's absent from anywhere <laughs> maybe near that's the what front his, of the line. Maybe that's what his absent T-shirt meant. I am absent from leading this drill. Just when you go he behind said, practice squad but guys, hey, that doesn't send a good message uh, well, to me. Well, let's just be honest about the situation, though. They're going to need him this season. Like they, they have to be able to get some production out of a guy that they signed to be, at worst, a number three wideout. Because guess who got production from him? The Los Angeles Rams got production from Josh Reynolds. Yes, well, they, they did. Him he's last fully, week and he ran he's six fully capable. I know that, Paul, and I'm not disagreeing with the fact that he's been a bust so far with what he's been able to provide. They they have to get production out of him. He can be something to provide an element to their offense. He he, he was known as a chain mover in, he, in L.A. Forty of his sixty catches. I'm I'm averaging here. Forty of his sixty catches went for a first down. And also for the a guy who could get separation without speed. He's a guy who drew a, pa- yeah. a pass interference penalty on on Sunday also against the Jack. Talked about yesterday. Who's the guy who can when good things happen when you throw the ball to them down the field that you could get a pass interference call? Well, he at least made that happen. Uh, over the weekend. I mean, it, certainly he can bring I mean, we, more than what he's bringing right he's now. He's the butt of a lot of jokes he's right capable. now because he's he's not productive. But Marcus they, Johnson they, came back and played got, ahead of him and played know, a lot. I know, and he I, outplayed I him in the think, preseason too. I don't think this is a case of the Titans signing someone. They've done this before 
signing someone who's not capable of doing the role that they hired him to do. Josh Reynolds is capable. He's got to do it. And some of that's got to start with, you know, not as, what do we call it, the beta move of being in the back of a line in a drill. Some, some of it's with that, but they can get production out of him. He can get production out of himself also with what they need. I, I fully believe in Josh Reynolds' ability to do more than what he's doing. There's, not been, there's been times where they brought people in where you look at it and I think they're getting exactly what they should get out of him, right. nothing. Well, because they've got nothing left. Right now, I believe a lot more in Marcus Johnson than I do in Josh Reynolds, and I wouldn't hesitate if I were them to keep using Marcus Johnson more than I use Josh Reynolds. I'm curious, as the week progresses, what the storyline will be with this Titans defense as you hear from players and, and chat with them about the Bills' offense because this is a defense that has had success against the Bills' offense over the last couple of years. It seems like every week six is Titans-Bills in some capacity, week five, week six. Um, and even, even in years where we expected the Bills to come in and win, last year with the COVID week, they moved that game back and there was a lot of distraction that week. Titans outplayed them. They outschemed them. And they won the game despite not being able to practice. And that was one of Mike Vrabel's best, some of his best work. The Houston game, his first year, that Bills game. And that's part of what I'm feeling this week. This is one of my themes of the week. I'm going to write about this. This is a game that they, if they're going to win it, part of the reason they win it has got to be because of what they did yesterday which is players day off. Some of them watch film, did yes. whatever. Yes. But what they did yesterday is sat down and game planned it. And they need to have recognized some things and come up with some strategies that will pay off Monday night. The way those things paid off when they had, what, 16 days to get ready but weren't in the building for but two practices getting ready last year, it seems like 10 years ago, for that game. This needs to be, to me, a game where Mike Vrabel and his coordinators and the staff saw some things, came up with things, developed some wrinkles, saw some weaknesses that other teams haven't seen, and then gave them to their players who were enthusiastic about these things and said, hey, wow, these guys saw some stuff, and we can go out and make this stuff work and beat what might be the best team in the league. This feels like the annual Titans no one believed in us bowl. That's what this game on Monday Night Football feels like to me. The rallying of the troops – a terrific coaching job by Mike Vrabel and his entire staff in preparation and a surprise win. I, I've had that vibe all week about this team. That's what this game feels like. Coming off the disappointment with the Jets, coming off a should have got it done against the Jags and did. Not a lot of people nationally, rightfully so, talking about the Titans anymore. If Julio Jones can get back, if A.J. Brown is more healthy, this is that annual game. This could be that game. Could be the Rams on Sunday night in a month, you know. Oh, by then it's too late. If could they can, could if they, be. If they continue to play with the trends that they're showing on offense and defense, it's too late by well, now. Well, what do you think they come out of this month at, out of these four games? Well, it needs I to mean, be. I mean, to go three and one in this month a lot of people would keep part, take it, a lot. Uh, It'd be nice if the two came in. If they went two and two and got two AFC wins, that so, would be pretty solid for this team right now. Well, it just depends on what your expectations are for this team. Um, if well, you, I think everybody expects them to be still in the thick of the playoff hunt. Well, they're showing I mean, they're nothing. one game. I know they've played in the thick poorly. Of the playoff hunt. They're, I mean, they're in based on their division. Right. They're in. They've played poorly, but really, they're one game off of what they should be. It was a bad loss in New York. 
They, but they're, they're one game off of where they should be, but they are light years away from playing the way they should right. be. But that doesn't matter. If they won the Jets game, they'd be 4-1. and one. But what you matters, know? though, Paul, is that I don't, I don't see a lot of signs of them turning that around oh, right now. I don't now. either. I don't I, either. I, the, these, the problems that, that exist with this team aren't ones you say, well, this guy's going to come back and fix that. Or this is going to happen and a light switch is going to – I just don't – there are issues with this team that I don't see them fixing. Right, but we agree they could conceivably go out on Buffalo, pop that game, and all of a sudden we'd feel great about it. Yeah, they look like a team that's going to go – Nine and eight in an awful division, win the division, and get their ass kicked in round one of the playoffs by someone good. Yeah, see, I, I'm that's going what back. they look like right now. That could change, but I don't see a lot of evidence of that changing. I'm going back to the trends even last year. I mean, they got to the playoffs last year. The trends going into the postseason were not high, but we saw what they did on their road to the postseason despite being drilled by Green Bay, and we thought everything is, is fine with this group. And then Lamar Jackson in Baltimore comes to town, and they're out in one game. Like, that's my point. That they're going to be in the playoffs because they're in the AFC South, barring some catastrophic injury to Derek Henry. Henry or Ryan Tannehill. They're in. But the expectations, and within the building, they, they would agree, are much bigger than just winning the division this year. And you want to show signs that you're trending in that right direction, and you don't really need to tinker with things offensively and defensively. And you're still having to maneuver that right now. And they can certainly fix some things as they move across the season here and get healthy, that that will help. But beyond that, they're just not as efficient in certain areas that you expected them to be. And I think that that's the key here is if they, if they're not having that breakout game, that surprise game until Sunday night football and against LA to me, it's too late by then because, because you're, you're trying to turn towards the postseason. A lot of people are saying, Oh, the, the bucks were seven and five last year. And then they went the Bucks have Tom Brady. Yeah. Like, let's just stop there. They, they have Tom Brady. They have an elite wide receiver. And they were able to get a defense that was extremely solid in the postseason and get all after Patrick Mahomes. But I will, I will say, like, to be devil's advocate-ish, this team won five games at the start of last year. It's conceivable it could win five games at the end of this year instead of at the start of, of this year, which would be a much better scenario. To really? do that, though, they would have to completely reverse the trend of what started after that 5-0 and start because this is not just a this-season thing. And I know, Hutton, you've been nailing this point. I mean, go back to that Sunday night football embarrassment in, in, Green, in Bay. Green Bay, and it's, this has been a downward trend. that This started in 2020, it went through the playoffs, and it continued in 2021. So, yes, Paul, they could. I mean, they could go on a five-game spurt at some point, but – Instead of starting the season that way and then going in reverse, it would take a complete change of what we see right now going in the right direction. Well, I mean, that's a, a best-case scenario, too, where you go into the playoffs hot and everything. Look, right, what, right. it feels like what they are is they're a team that had that one great run in the postseason and, uh, and last year broke through in the regular season to win 11 instead of 9. Feels like they're a nine win. You know, they've been nine and seven. Now they would be nine and eight. A nine and eight team that gets into the playoffs because it's in a poor division and, you know, maybe wins a game, maybe doesn't in the playoff. Like it's been for most of this tenure. And that, well, that the, the playoff run was an aberration and that the, the, the 11 wins were an aberration. To me, it's just a bunch of... We'll make up whatever scenario fits best with the narrative of the season. Because last year, 
they were harping on the fact that they needed to host playoff games. Oh, they do. At nine and eight, you're not hosting oh, playoff I'm not, games. Well, at nine and eight, you could win this division and host a playoff game. Yeah, they'll host well, one. I'm not saying they're celebrating it. I'm not celebrating it. The Chargers or KC or Cleveland yeah, or Buffalo. If I mean, you win that first playoff game, which you very well could lose to somebody like Cincinnati. Coming up, um, we are, not we, the, the NFL we, undervaluing Derrick Henry yet again. It's hard to do that, but the numbers that this guy is posting is in, it's incredible, and it's hard to overlook, and it deserves more than a, an email from FedEx every week uh, for the FedEx Ground Player of the Week. Don't miss it, though. Every uh, week, though, he gets it. It's, I mean, it's a recurring award. It? It They're going to call it the Derrick Henry you think they've already Player printed, of the Week. They've already going to rename that award. Uh, they just when he's on the road, they certainly do. He is the Dope Campbell of the FedEx Ground Award of the Week. That's right. Hey, when you're traveling to a destination and you're wondering, hey, you know, I don't know this language. I'd like to be, I've got a big trip coming up. I'd like to be better uh, when it comes to uh, accomplishing even the simplest task in another country. There's Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Through Babbel's bite-sized lessons, you learn a new language skill that you can actually use in the real world. From greetings, menus, directions, gaining a deeper understanding of culture, Babbel is a travel essential. Yeah, and it doesn't take a lot of time. We all don't have a lot of time, right? How about Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go? Other language apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, Hutton's been to Italy, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your punctu- uh, your pronunciation and accent, Paul. And maybe your punctuation. If Both, yeah. I mean, I, look, I need I need better foreign punctuation as well. We all need that. Right now when you purchase... I don't know where to put that little thing over the E yeah. that happens on... <laughs> I mean, who, who knows where to put that thing? Right now when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code OUTKICK360. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Code OutKick360. Babel, language for life. OutKick360 rolls on. Follow us on Twitter. You can search us out on Facebook. Join the, the page there. YouTube is where you can join the chat, and you can see videos after the show each and every day. Just subscribe to the channel. We hope you'll ring the bell while you're there. And You know, we go live each and every day, 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central, right here across the OutKick network. Derrick Henry has 1,901 yards in his last 12 road games. That is absolutely insane. The dude has rushed for nearly 2,000 yards in his last 12 games on the road. And we featured this earlier this season before they went to Seattle, after the week one loss to Arizona, where I, I told you, the game plan is Henry, Henry, Henry. And... We've learned this over the last two years. No, no matter the score, they're giving it to him. But the production is incredible. Since 1948, currently he has 640 yards on the season. 640 rushing yards through week five is ninth most all time in any season since 1948. O.J. Simpson twice had over 800, which is incredible. And Jim Brown also did it. But to consider the names that he's up with and the production that he's doing right now, 
uh, that deserves note. That there's truly an, an he's undervalued, even as being valued as high as he is locally and nationally. Um, 142 carries, by the way, second most all time through five weeks. OJ Simpson had 152 through five games um, during his era. Henry's workload, right there with him. Ten carries behind OJ who was number one all-time through five weeks. We've really come to take him for granted. Yeah. Um, because these last two games, you know, very, very solid Derrick Henry games, but yeah, just people kinda... weren't doing cartwheels. I know. You know, uh, you have to go back to week one, 17 for 58 against Arizona. I mean, the Cardinals should look back at that and be like, "Woo, we really did some work. Or you go back to the Cleveland game last year, which was week uh, 13, I think, December 6th. Cleveland won that game 41-35. That's uh, the game they led 24-0 or yeah, whatever at half. 15 for 60. I mean, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Because you look down that column, and they're, you know, 103, 133, 178, 60, 215, 147, 98, 250. I mean, it's really an accomplishment. And that's why, like, Obviously, the Jets and the Jags didn't stop him, but I'm really impressed when you hold him to a high run of 22 or a high run of 15. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a, a to me a defending Derrick Henry win. Yeah, you don't you don't allow him to break out for that 50 yard touchdown or whatever it might be. I don't think that people undervalue him as much. I mean, it's always now nationally Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans, which it should be. Well, here's you don't where, hear here's that with a lot locally, of non-quarterbacks. Locally, I've started. To well, take it's not it even. I, I don't think it's an undervaluing as much it is as it is the expectation Acceptance. of Henry is greatness. Yeah. It's not just be good in a game. You kind of get well, numb me, to it because the expectation every game is that Derrick Henry will be great. Yeah, if he went which twenty-five is a for hundred, we'd be like, eh. which is a compliment to him. Well, let me let me clarify. Uh, He's not received as valuable as he is that they will quantify that by saying, oh, we're going to vote for him for offensive player of the year. He won't win MVP because he's not he will not get any consideration for MVP. And look, I understand the line of thinking when people say you can't win MVP if you're on the sideline for third and fourth down. I I get that. Um, I don't it's hard to argue that. And but it's hard to argue his to value to his offense, despite the fact that they refuse to put him out there. Uh, I, I agree entirely. And look, MVP's nice, but we've had this conversation. He's heading for the Hall of Fame at this rate, unless something drastic happens. And even if something drastic happened, God forbid, this weekend to him, he might have a Hall of Fame career. And it's in a quarterback his award. Already. I get it, but like it, it, we know in week five, no matter what this dude does, he has no chance of winning MVP. No, certain things have happened. Look, J.J. Watt had, when I was covering the entire AFC South, J.J. Watt had a season that if a defensive player with J.J. Watt's season can't win MVP, yeah. no defensive player will ever win MVP. And think about it. A kicker once won MVP. Once upon a time. Well, once upon a time, Mark Mosley was MVP. Yeah, no. Not a Titans a kicker. That was a different a era. Washington kicker. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that amazing? Era. I mean, we can't get uh, – uh, J.J. Watt couldn't get in the conversation. Derek Henry can't get in the conversation. But Mark Mosley, I mean, how bad was got that year? it in his trophy Was kick. that the worst year of professional football in history? Did every sports writer just say, you know what, guys? This year really sucked. I mean, there are no <laughs> great God, players out there. Have you seen them kick? Everyone we true. thought out there was, was not as good as we thought – Let's just give it to the damn kicker. Just one time, just as a joke. 
Mosley had a great year. Let's make the, let's give the kicker the award because everyone else didn't reach expectation. That had to be the worst year in the history of football. I'd like to quick, go and see what happened research. in that season. 1982. So. Oh, this was the year of my birth. That was a terrible year. But yeah. see, the, the precedent is set, though, because People Adrian, were naming their kids Chad. Adrian Peterson is a 2,000-yard rusher, and he won MVP. And it wasn't that long ago. It was 2014, I believe. 2012. 2012, he won it with the Minnesota Vikings. He rushed for 2,097 yards. And uh, Henry won't get a sniff. That's my expectation this year. He won't. I mean, it's just do he'll get he'll years. get he'll get a couple of votes. I think if he's back to back two thousand, if uh, particularly if the quarterbacks kind of cancel each other out, if there's not like a singular quarterback, maybe. But again, somebody the caveat now the is back. oh he's he's offensive player of the year. Right. That's the well. That's the running back award. That's the non quarterback. That's the potential. Though. Yeah, it is. It's just the way it, it's shaped out. It's a laziness on the part of those. Uh, voters that the AP selects. It's kind of a cop-out. But again, I have no good answer for for those that would ask me, like, I can't vote for a guy who the the coaching staff has standing on the sidelines watching the most important down of a drive. Yeah, and you can't answer. I, I can't answer that. Like, there's no great response for that, that they, you know, in a third and three, he's not getting the handoff. A guy that averages six yards a carry. No, I can't. There, there's no can't equivalent. That. to That's not going to help him win an MVP. With, That's with my point. The there's no equivalent to Jeremy McNichols for Kyler Murray or Tom Brady or any of the quarterbacks that we're talking about. Herbert, any of the quarterbacks we're talking about as as MVP candidates at this early stage, and that list can get jumbled and change. But there's they don't have a Jeremy McNichols st- stigma, if you will, and Henry. Does not nothing that he's doing wrong. No, no, by by no means. And his value to this team is as high as any quarterback right now, especially considering the offensive line woes, the fact that Tannehill's been sacked twenty times, and they're going to have depth issues. I mean, what they cannot afford now is for any setback at the tackle positions. Sam Brilo retiring. Um, I want to get to that in a moment, but Raiden's who they haven't even put in the game yet, haven't even tried to play him at tackle. He's a guard. Paul, if they second round pick, I mean, we're we're just going into week six, and they can't afford to have one more issue. No, Saffold is leaving every game. Ben Jones held up this past week, but it's not expected that he will. He's one of the toughest dudes on the team, and hats off to you, man. You're I. I want him to be able to stay whole, but I don't see that happening. It's tough. I mean, a guy at this point in his career playing as physical as he plays at that position, there's no miracle cure to get healthy. It's, it's going to yeah. be a constant problem that's probably going to get worse. You just have to play through it. Yeah, and he, he does a good job of doing that. He tries. That. He yeah. tries every time. There's, there's no knocking that guy's toughness, that's for sure. By the way, 1982 strike, strike short season, but still nine game season that Mark Mosley but won. But still, MVP. I've got leaders on here. Like, um, <laughs> tell me about the this. year yeah. of my birth. Okay, so Ken Anderson um, was was the passing. Uh, oh yeah, the great Ken Anderson. Who could have forgotten? <laughs> Let's see here. The Passer great Cincinnati rating. quarterback Ken, Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson. You know, he's got some Hall of Fame juice. I don't think he's there, but he was a 95.3 rated passer. Uh, Dan Fouts was the passing yardage leader. You know, you don't know the kind. Con- he had 28 
uh, 100, over 2,800 yards. You don't know what that means in the context of this. <laughs> Terry Bradshaw, Dan Fouts, and Joe Montana all threw 17 touchdown passes. Now that is nuts. Maybe they all stole votes from each Consider other. Consider now right? that Brady has, fi- he has 15 touchdown passes going into Thursday night football. In week and they six, they had it in a strike. He had short seventeen touchdowns in passes. nine games, or yeah, maybe nine, the playoffs included in that yeah. also. Defensively, and you still have not given see. me any credence that this was a great season <laughs> for a star. So I'm, I'm still clearly seeing why Mosley won the MVP. Come I think it was now. a joke from the writers. Are you guys going to strike short in the season? Everson we're going to elect a kicker MVP. Everson Walls had seven picks. <laughs> I mean, these are better options. You know what Better else options. happened in 1982? Doug Martin had 11 and a half sacks. <clears throat> Doug Martin, of course. The great Doug Martin. Well, I mean, that's as good a name as Mark Mosley. True. You uh, know what, guys? I'm going to vote for the kickers. The uh, Minnesota Vikings opened the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome in 1982. It's beautiful. It's it was state a state of the art. State of the art. It's basically the SoFi Stadium of 1982 it really was the was. Metrodome. Uh, the Washington, as they were called then, Redskins were the 1982 NFL champions. They defeated the Miami Dolphins in Pasadena. What a beautiful time. I've watched the NFL Network America's game about 1982 because I remember your birth year. I remember uh, Joe Theismann being interviewed on it about the good job that some of the replacement players did (laughs) or like something that happened with a strike. You know, they were they had the strike busting that was going on. There was some there was some element of that that was uh, crazy with that strike shortened season. Let's see if we can find the vote. The uh, report from Buck Rising of A to Z Sports and 104.5 The Zone here locally in Nashville uh, that Ty Sambrilo retired because he had grown tired of the Titans is an interesting one. And there are layers to this within the story that's not going to be picked up nationally uh, in, in a great detail about Taylor Lewan or about the offensive line coach or about just the, the overall mentality of the team in general. But what Buck says in this is, He was dissatisfied with his role and dissatisfied with having to always pick up the slack of Lawan at left tackle. And he didn't like his offensive line coach, which which was echoed by other players in the room. He was called into duty before he felt ready to come back from his, I think it was a foot injury. I mean, that... Look, if, if you're physically able to go and you're next man up and the guy in front of you isn't physically able to go, it's part of the job that you go. So kind of have some was, uh, the, objection from the to story, that. The sense that he kept having to bail Lawan out. That's an interesting way to put this. Kept having to bail Lawan out, wore on the veteran backup as well. That's weird to me. I mean, that's the job. If they... I, I, you don't really get to determine like what the guy ahead of you is doing. If the coach comes... Oh, I know and taps you on the shoulder, you go. Like, and that's what happened uh, during warm-ups in Indianapolis. They tapped him on the shoulder and said, you go. Do you, I don't know that you get to contextualize it so much and go, oh, here I go bailing out Lawan again. Your thinking should be, I get to play. Like, as a backup, isn't that what you want your backup to think? I get to play. Great, I'm going to go out and play. Well, if he's not healthy, well, you don't want to be out there. He's healthy enough to be active for the game, I, I get the sense. Maybe I'm reading in between There's the lines here that well, that he didn't want to be playing. <laughs> like I, yeah. I get the yeah, sense that they, sure. he was basically told, "No, you're good enough to go. Doctors cleared you. Get out there." And he was probably like, "I need to be sitting. I gotta be. Hey, I'm yeah. in worse shape than your starting left tackle, and I don't need to be out there." It's but a, they uh, needed him out there as a security blanket for for Lawan. Is weird. what I got. We're starting to hear a lot of that. Lawan wasn't 
mentally prepared to come back off the knee. That's clear. Bud Dupree came back too early. He had admitted that. Tyson Brylow says he's not ready to play. Hearing a lot of doctor's clearance and players not feeling mentally ready to go. Yeah, where's the story? There's a trend here. There's, where's the story with that? Let's get the uh, uh, Titans medical crew on the horn and, and find out what's going on they're, with I mean, guys that are, them to go. that are being cleared to go and then coming back and saying, I shouldn't have been playing. Because that's I mean, I've read the story from Buck, and that's essentially what Sam Brylow is saying. I was forced into action, and I had to continually bail out the starting left tackle who was healthier than me, and I, wasn't, I had a foot injury and couldn't go. And he was, he was done with it. it it's, it's a crazy story. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about the word continually. He subbed for him in the Arizona. No, he didn't sub for him in the Arizona game. Lamb did. So he, played, he started for him. In, well, Sam Brylow was hurt during camp. Right. So when did he bail Luan out? He played. Last he year. started for him. Okay, well, we're and going back to year. last. But when did he bail him out this year? He started for him in the Colts game or the Seattle game, the game that Luan bailed out. Did he play out. in the Arizona game? No, Lamb came in Lamb for was the one who came Arizona in for Luan. Okay. Right? Uh, straight so from he bailed him out wrote, once this year. While Sam Brylow was trying to get himself right, he grew tired of being on call constantly before he felt he was ready to play. The sense that he kept having to bail Lawan out wore on the veteran backup as well. I think that's a little strong that he kept having to bail him out this year because I think he bailed him out one time. In Seattle. Right. When he yeah, got called on it, to it start. It goes right? on to say, stay, uh, to state in Buck's story, the Titans lost Lawan to an injury week two in a pregame warm-up before their game against the Seahawks began. Sambrilo was again tapped to fill in at the last minute in a way that caused some frustration. Again, tapped to fill in. I mean, last year he started five or six games and got hurt, which ended his time as a backup called on to replace Lawan. So the use of again befuddles me a little bit. It's not like they've kept going to him to replace Lawan. Lamb replaced Lawan in, Air, in the two series in Arizona. Sembrilo got a start. Lawan maybe stepped out for a play here and there. Otherwise, he came off the field for the knee. But I don't feel like Sembrilo is constantly called on to, to replace Well, Luan. then let's, let's get into this part of the story. Sembrilo never felt at ease in his position group's room. Offensive line coach Keith Carter, who many of the players have grown tired of over the course of his time on Tennessee's coaching staff, according to multiple sources, had the same effect on Sembrilo. Carter has received praise publicly from Luan and others but that also came with an admission of how rocky a start that got off. Yeah, to. they got they got into they it got at camp his a, first year yeah. there. Yeah, Lawan faked like he didn't he didn't do a show block the way that Carter wanted, and so on the next one he did a big dramatic show block with the fall down, and Carter didn't take it well. I wrote WWE about it. style. And somebody had a video of it that they shared with me at TV, and I talked to him about it. Look, Carter. Uh, his personality's not for everybody. Lawan said it's a lot different than Russ Grimm, who preceded him. Well, but think ultimately, about the, think about just offensive line coaches across the yeah, league are kind of yeah. tend to be gruff. Some of them are a lot well, worse than Carter. But think about the the not the offensive line coaches who have been here though, right? Like just over Munchak, the years, Munchak, uh, Matthews. I mean, those... Bob Bostad. Nobody cared about because he was <laughs> terrible. But you but get look, my point. Here's the fact of the matter. Nobody was bitching about him last year when they were giving up 24 sacks and everything was fine, right? Things are bad now, and all of a sudden we're hearing stuff about him. This is traditional how things go when things are going badly. All of a sudden, the coach, somebody has a problem with the coach. Now, nobody had a problem with the coach and was whispering to, to media, and I would have loved to have had this story. I'm not saying that. Good job by Buck. But nobody was saying anything about, uh, about Keith Carter last year when the offensive line – 
not only subbed their second string left tackle and continued to win, but subbed their third string left tackle and continued to win. It looked like Keith Carter was doing pretty damn good work during that. Now he's not doing good work because they're on pace to give up 68 sacks. I think it's a story because the guy would prefer to retire than to put up with whatever's going on. In his mind, I'm not saying that everyone feels that way. I know in the story it was said that this is a common theme among the offensive linemen, that they're not pleased with Keith Carter in that room. But to me, that's, that's a story. Well, a typical common theme here, too, and a typical reaction is suck it up, buttercup. Well, let's also, just to be fair to the Titans here, Sam Brilo chose to re-sign with the team. With was, the coach that could have gone anywhere. He apparently didn't like. Yeah, could have gone anywhere. So, you know, if if you're if you're pouting about it, go somewhere else. That, yeah, that's that's also fair to Ty Sambrilo here, who quit. But it's also a bad situation for the Titans that a guy who they need walks away in the middle of things. Well, well I mean, let's treat him like Rashard Matthews. Yeah, it's a quitter. Yeah, he quit. There's He's no way for the boys. It. For the boys! Regard, regardless of the... Re- I mean, look, there's They're going to be saluting them on the bus this week. There's some a interesting... Well, I don't to know, our fallen uh, friend. That, that, that bus ain't going to be saluting them after what was in that story. I'm tired of coming to the aid of the starting left tackle who owns that bus. Oh, if they're consistent, they will I toast don't think them. They won't be consistent with this one. But you're right. It, it, it's a He quit. Plain and simple. And it puts them in a bad spot depth-wise because he was a guy who could play multiple spots. And now you're putting a rookie in that you're not comfortable, in some cases, dressing out for games. I know he did that this past week, but you, you just don't feel he's ready yet. Like it or not, that's the situation they're in, and now we get to see Dylan Radins. More on that throughout the week for sure. When we come back, big game in Knoxville. Volunteers, Rebels, and Lane Kiffin's return to Neyland Stadium, and at least in the social media battle, there is a check mark for Ole Miss as of late. We'll, we'll tell you about that straight ahead on OutKick 360. Ole Miss and Blaine Kiffin, they win the day on Twitter. But will the Vols win on Saturday and win where it matters? On the field, Neyland Stadium, Saturday against Ole Miss. And Chad, you pointed this out during the break. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. The chess versus checkers. A well-played move by the Ole Miss Rebels. Checker Neyland is happening Saturday night. We've seen it before. Started with the Tennessee versus Oklahoma game in 2015. Baker Mayfield uh, remembers that one. A legendary comeback for him, but he still talks about the noise that night. Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss not as concerned about the noise, and this is a very well-played tweet that simply says, chess versus checkers on the (laughs) orange and white checkerboard with Ole Miss chess pieces versus Tennessee checker pieces, uh, which is terrific uh, by Ole Miss. Tennessee will return serve on this because their social media department is second to none. Uh, they had a funny tweet on Saturday that I showed you guys where it was in all lowercase, and it was basically, bear with us, Twitter isn't fast enough for our score updates <laughs> right now when it was 28 nothing in the first quarter. And so we're having a slight problem, with, and it put at Twitter with our score updates, which I, I thought was, uh, was they, well played. Will they like knock they out a problem. Ole Miss with a fashion show before the game? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have a big fashion show. We'll leave that to the pros. Project uh, Runway. Have, who have fashion shows. Project Runway. Always. Project Runway. <laughs> all, it's, it's your nearest <laughs> airport of I got, NFL teams. I got destroyed for that tweet when I uh, tweeted Mike Vrabel's, uh, Mike Vrabel's 
comment about uh, it's not about what kind of suit you wear and paired it with the Titans social media not getting that message as the Titans dressed up on their road trip to go get pasted by the Jets. I've got a lot of uh, troll accounts. I've mentioned the same thing. Uh, I was uh, in the airport when the Titans lost to the Jets, but I tweeted out something like, so, but how was the fashion show, more importantly? <laughs> and people were, it doesn't matter at Everybody all. Everybody does Let it. them do what they want. Every team in the league does it. ESPN and then, films guys coming into the stadium I, every week. I wake That's up, actually showing them arriving at the stadium. It's not about what they're wearing. I, I wake up this morning and I see a tweet from someone that's like, Brian, uh, 69478532- <laughs> A different thing with no picture. It's, that Jake, says, it's Jacob Swanson's that says, burner account, Oh, well, uh, did, they have a, did they have a fashion show on Sunday? Did that cause <laughs> them to win now? Because they won and they had a fashion show. You must not be able to blame it on the fashion show. Whatever. I will say this about Tennessee and Ole Miss. This game will feature the number one and number two quarterbacks in America in QBR. Who would have thought that? Matt Corral is the Heisman favorite right now but in Vegas. Number one quarterback in America in QBR. Number two is Hendon Hooker. I wouldn't have bet it was Hooker, but I would have bet it wasn't going to be Milton. It was not going to be Milton. Here's the other thing about this matchup, and we can get into this more tomorrow when we have more time in the Tennessee Power Hour. Uh, a lot of familiarity. Yes. Th that is the key with this. This is the first game that both of these teams will go up against someone. I know Kendall Bryles likes to, likes to play fast also, and there's some familiarity there with Arkansas and Ole Miss. I can see a similar game style the way you saw with Arkansas and Ole Miss in this one because – for the first time, Tennessee's going to play someone that's not surprised by the speed because Ole Miss practices against this speed. Ole Miss plays a little bit faster now than Tennessee. Tennessee slowed it down because of these blowouts. Their, their, their plays per minute have gone down because in the last two second halves, they've had to slow it down to work clock. Sound like two and such a half big, plays instead of three. asked them to slow well, it down at the appropriate times, and lo and behold. They still have, they struggle with it, though. Yeah, they're now third in, a, in the nation. Ole Miss is second. Utah State is number one in, in speed of, of play. But again, Ole Miss and Tennessee, they're not surprised by it. These teams can knock people off balance when they're not used to it. They practice against it all the time. And Josh Heupel's old offensive coordinator at, at UCF is Jeff Levy, who's now the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. A lot of familiarity. How did we go from, very random here, how did we go from the Manning cast idea from, from Kiffin and pushing for this on social media for a couple of weeks to SEC Network 630 kickoff? I, I, I know these, these schedules are made by the networks like two weeks in advance, but this is one end of the spectrum to the other, like a giant wish upon a star broadcast with Eli and Peyton together, which wasn't going to happen, and Chad mentioned that when it came out. To SEC Network 630. Look, I'm not one who... Uh, what got better? I'm not one who gets all uh, offended by this, you know, when your team's not getting the national TV respect or whatever, because there's a reason for that. You know, Tennessee hasn't been great and two weeks the ago, last few years, yeah, and, and they it. started the season, you know, they, not a lot of expectation, and these are done two weeks in advance. What and got, I'm trying to find... Better? Well, I'm trying to find what game is in primetime on ESPN in the SEC that's superseding this one, because <laughs> here's my big takeaway, though. How crazy is it that Tennessee's checker Nealon game is on SEC, SEC Network? SEC Network, right. This would be a CBS, you know, the, I remember the game against uh, Florida. Alabama-Mississippi State is the ESPN game. It's Alab I mean, that's all Alabama. Yeah. yeah. That's all the Alabama eyeballs on that. This is, this is a better bad. matchup. No, yeah. for sure. I mean, I would the, the storyline of Kiffin coming back to Knoxville, it's a first Two sellout since 2017 teams. for Tennessee. Yeah, the, the possibility of a lot of scoring. And excitement in the game, I, I would take it. But again, it is funny to see, not funny necessarily, but 
It's just a reality check that Tennessee's checker Nealon game is going to be seen on SEC Network. It, it would, it would usually weird. be on you know the ESPN night game or ABC night game or CBS. Show flew by today. Very fun show. Got after. fast. Always a good sign. We banged hats. Tomorrow, we will do the same. Trey Wallace will join us from outkick.com. Uh, Armando Salguero with the latest across the NFL. He always brings the energy. Love having him on. Uh, from uh, OutKick as well as our NFL columnist there. And we will get back into Tennessee Ole Miss. We'll preview more of the SEC matchups around the Southeast. Plus, we dive into the numbers of Bills and Titans and how they pull the upset on Monday night. Big U.S.-Costa Rica game tonight. I know these guys are going to be watching. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks.